This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 75 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today we have legendary horseman Bill Kasner, as well as saddlemaker Sam Houston. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello, Debbie. How are you doing? Hi, sweetie. Good. How are you? I'm doing great. I raced in here to do our recording this afternoon, having just leaped off my uh, pony, Nigel. Oh, fun. Yes. Fun. Do you smell like a horse? Yum. I do. <laughs> Good. Good. Take a deep breath. Uh, Yeah, how was the ride? The ride was lovely. Uh, The weather has moderated here in Florida, so much to Nigel's dismay, we went out in the read-in road today. And I was was trying to put into practice some of my own advice. (laughs) Okay. What were you telling yourself? Well, I I did a tip the other day. Uh, Last week, I rode in the arena on on, uh, Friday, I guess it was. And we just practiced walk. That's it. We just walked because when he gets in the arena, he he's just a tiny bit ring sour. So he, he wants to put on yeah. a little bit of an attitude. Yeah, because he's had a whole career in the ring, right? Yeah, he's done the so. ring thing. He's like over mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, but I, especially if I don't have time to go out for a long ride, I'll ride in the arena because it's convenient. Go in there, bop around sure. for a little bit, and then you're done. Yeah. So I'm trying to get him to be in the moment. Be attentive and be with me because, you know, he, he uses that method. If, I, if I'm if i looking over off into the distance, you can't tell me to do anything. Yeah, I'm evading you. Yes. So yes. I was practicing um, not trying to overpower him because what you want to do when your horse is not giving you what you want, whether they're evading him like he does or if they're jiggy or if they seem to be ignoring your left leg, you want to make all of your aids bigger and stronger. That's what mm-hmm. we do. And I was doing walk work and I said, okay, I'm going to turn this around. And I did the opposite. I made my aids smaller and lighter. Okay. So if we're walking to the left and we're making a circle left and he starts to tune me out and he's leaning onto my left leg, Mm -hmm. instead of making my left leg stronger, which is what I want to do, I make sure I'm giving it very small and very correct. And if it's not working, we're just going to go change it to something else. Okay. We're going to immediately turn right and bend to the right. Yeah. And I practiced that with our walk and halt and halt, walk and halt. And he started to tune back in. Uh Uh-huh. You you, kind of threw him off his game a little bit there. I saw what you did. Yeah. He knows what the aids are. I don't need to make them bigger to get the point across that left Mm -hmm. leg here means you bend, right? Mm -hmm. He knows that. Yeah. Um, So by using bigger aids, all I'm doing is teaching him to ignore Escalate. Yes, exactly. Escalate. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And then today when I went out, I thought, well, we'll do a little bit of trot work today. And when we're doing a little bit of trot work, that means he's wound up just a little bit more with a little bit of extra attitude. <laughs> and uh, he was wound up a little extra attitude. So when we go around the arena and we go past the gate, you know what horses like to do when they go past the gate of the arena? It's like a magnet. Yeah. yeah. Just like <laughs> the, the shoulder goes out, the attention goes towards the gate. Yeah. And he would go past the gate and he would rush and pop his shoulder out. And we did mm-hmm. that two or three times. And I, outside hand, outside leg, you know, giant half halt. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we got the job done, but the attitude increased. Again. Mm-hmm. We're escalating. It's so like, well, that's not going to, that's not where I want to go. Being mm-hmm. a storm, storm cat son, we don't want to get in an <laughs> argument with this man. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, right. He, he, yeah, I don't want to bring out his bad attitude. So, okay, yeah. we're going to step this back. Mm-hmm. So we trot around in that exact same circle. I know what, he knows what the aids are. I know I'm giving the correct aids and we don't get what we need. So I simply picked up my rein to the inside and put him into a one rein halt. Okay. By golly, we just stopped and stood there for a moment and took a <laughs> breath. That's good. Walk quietly off, go back to trot, do it again. And the third time we trotted past that gate and he genuinely said, tune you out going towards the gate, mm. single rein halt. He took a giant deep breath and he didn't do it the rest of the run. Oh, good. There you go. This is what we call join up in the saddle. Is it this really? Is good. It's like a meeting of the minds, I mean, right? I'm, I'm not going to put tons of pressure on you and try to put you in a tiny little package where you're uncomfortable, squeezing mm-hmm. and pulling and tugging. I'm mean, arguing. I'm mm-hmm. arguing mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem like arguing because there's no flailing and there's, ye- there's no yelling. But from his point of view, mm-hmm. if I get my aids really intense, from his point of view, that's kicking up an argument. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And and they're bigger than us. And, you know, and if they just want to say, go away. Yeah. Throwing them off that, you know, I guess what predictable uh, way is really good. You know, they're distractible, which is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like that about horses because you can get good things in, in that distraction moment, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I like it when you can deescalate things like that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And That's awesome. I felt like I was on the right track because each time he did that and I'd have to bring his nose around into a single rain halt, which I learned how to do properly. Okay. Um, because there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And I learned how to do it properly. The, um, he would stop, but his, his eye would stay soft and he'd go, yeah, I got you. I'm supposed to stand here for a second. Good boy. Cause you did what I told you. I said, stop. Yeah. And you did. Good boy. Good uh, reason to do a correct movement and, and calm things down. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I thought, oh, I'm going to have to do this 35 times. This <laughs> is going to be. And the third time it's like he had a big old light bulb moment. He said, well, pfft. That's obviously not what you want me to do, is it? <laughs> That's good. He's agreeing with you. And I love the big breath. I love watching for that, that yeah. uh, so release. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. able to get really good. aids light and soft. And we did our thing. And 20 minutes or so, we got a nice, relaxed top line. So we went out for a hack. It was great. Perfect. Yay. Perfect. So I got a lesson today. I, I mean, I got a reminder. That's good. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. This weekend, I, I, I'm i fortunate enough to be able to see my other um, lesson will be with Charlotte Dujardin. Wait, 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 <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're going to ride with Charlotte Dujardin? No, oh, I'm sure. sitting at a table and I get to listen to her tell us what we're supposed to do. But, but I don't I don't ride dressage, but um, but I appreciate good dressage. And I've been watching the videotapes of her. And so um, it was fun. I was just running a videotape of Jen in my mind on Nigel. And now, <laughs> you know, I've got to focus on Charlotte, my next lesson. <laughs> It'll be really fun. But yeah, she's giving a, she's a Brooke ambassador. And so is, is Monty dad. And um, so I was invited to sort of be his representation because he's on tour in the UK and she is out here in California. So she'll be very close to Flag is Up Farms and um, I'll be fortunate enough to be one of the small crowd there to um, to so see she, her do her thing. Oh, she's mm-hmm. going to do a demo? Yes. Oh, it's a two-day clinic. Yeah, it's great. It's exciting. Oh. Yeah, and I just heard on Horse Radio Network, I heard that interview with one of your auditors who talked about attending um, 
Charlotte's Clinic in Canada. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, she's doing the sweep or something as a tour of these things. But yeah, so um, I'm really cool takeaways. Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. I think so. I'm yeah, very I excited. So we can, uh, when we get together to record next time, we'll uh, we'll chat about how that went. And yes, I want to hear your takeaways. Your yours you. is going to be a very different point of view because you ride Western. Yeah, I look for harmony. I look for all those things that she does to get um, such a relaxed um, but generous, you know, mm-hmm. performance out of yeah. her horse. And and she she does. I I know that she does things. A lot of um, high-end uh, dressage riders will do things in a clinic that they w- you'd never see them do in a performance because they're schooling a little bit, right, you know, and they're, exactly. yeah. And, and so to me that just behaviorally, I mm-hmm. think that'll be fascinating to see. And anything at that level is just amazing to me, Jen, yeah. you know, to be able to see people who have achieved so much. She has just broken all the records. And um, I, I just watched again the YouTube of her London uh, performance, um, and uh, it, it, you just think she has a, a a microphone on her horse <laughs> and telling him what to do. He must understand exactly what yes. she's. No, it's all through feel and harmony and understanding, and hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. of dedication to that sport. It's just amazing to watch when it works like that. Yeah, so. So let's get on with, we've got some great guests today coming in, and I think people are being fascinated by a young saddle maker, Sam Houston, Samantha Houston, um, living in um, the footsteps of her dad going into, he's just an artist um, at the end of his career, building saddles, and uh, Bill Kasner. Oh my gosh, I am so pleased that we were able to speak with Bill Kasner for a quick interview. He's a busy man, one of the nicest guys in the sport of horses on the globe. And you know what? He loves his horses. He is one of those owners everybody should emulate. Shall we get to listen in? Absolutely. Right after this from IFA.com. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios, risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. Samantha Houston is a passionate artist, a horsewoman, a yoga teacher, and an aspiring saddle maker. Sam grew up spending time with her dad in his saddle shop and on horseback, and her toys were shop tools and art supplies. <laughs> Leatherworking, silversmithing, and horsemanship came naturally to her, and her dad, Bill Houston, was building endurance saddles in the 1980s when Sam got hooked on riding distances in the backcountry. 
Um, after designing and building her own lightweight distance saddle in her dad's shop in 2013, Sam set her sights on following in her father's footsteps. Recently, Sam acquired an entire leather shop from a retiring, talented saddle maker and a Western artist named Bob Matson. And apprenticing with her father, Sam follows in the Houston family's tradition of saddle making and leather work, and it's an emphasis on comfort for both the horse and the rider. So today, when she's not building saddles, she's enjoying the trail with their best friends, Ocho, the Arabian, and Brando, the Appaloosa. Well, welcome, Samantha Houston. You're an amazing woman. How do you uh, put artistry, horsewoman, yoga teacher, and a aspiring saddle maker all in one bio? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, uh, that's just what I do, and I I used to do a lot more, so I'm really... Whoa. <laughs> Uh, trying to slow down. I've been off caffeine for about three months. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so dear. Oh, no, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Is that helping? Yeah. Yeah, it really helps. I, um, I'm really, really slowing down and, and focusing on the horses more and the saddle shop. So that's very refreshing for me because I was always trying to do uh, so many things at mm. once. Yeah. Well, you have an amazing family, and um, and I'll ask you a few questions about that in a little bit too. But um, I, I kind of reading your your passions and knowing you as a horsewoman too. I kind of had this question. I just was dying to ask you, like, where do you see yourself, Sam Houston, in like twenty five years? What do you see yourself doing? Wow. Well, I haven't really thought that far ahead, honestly. <laughs> That's good. I, uh, I I would love to still be in really good shape, really healthy. Uh, I'd love to still be able to practice and teach yoga because that's really a part of my self-care and my horses. <laughs> it makes me a better human for my horses. Yeah. So I see that and... Gosh, I just haven't even gotten that far. Okay, you got this legacy with your dad of building saddles. And um, do you see yourself as taking that over? Or is just this something that's just you want to learn a skill from him right now while you, you know, are all together? And um, this is not something that is like forever. Uh, Well, it is. For now, I'm very uh, clear that this is the work that I'm supposed to be doing, and it comes easily and naturally to me. So that's kind of a relief after struggling with my own careers and things like that. It's just just so easy, you know. It's like my life's gift or one of them. And uh, I had a, a huge, I thought it was a huge fantasy to have a saddle shop, but somehow I pulled it off. So now I have my own shop. It's no longer and a fantasy. It's real. No, it's reality. And the momentum is just like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> but it's really happening. I just got my first saddle order. And my dad and I are going to do it together. Again, it's uh, very simple. It's just like the saddle I built for myself. And, uh, yeah, we're really excited. I, I do intend to carry on his work. Great. Okay, that's cool. I, I like that about your story that you've got this uh, generational skill because it is. Uh, I was just talking to Jen about some of the um, the artistry that you see in the Western 
world in the Western saddles and the Western bridles bits, you know, all the things that are our vaquero traditions, you know, mm-hmm. um, all the early Spanish things that we've brought forth into the modern Western world. So where do you guys fit in that? Do you feel like you're an extension of that? What I know you, you don't just do Western, but that vaquero mm-hmm. tradition in building saddles? Oh, yeah, big time. Our, our family goes way back to uh, in California history as cowboys and uh, we're my dad is very traditional with his gear and it is kind of funny that we build such a modern saddle but we really have put uh, both of those aspects together so we've got the super modern thing that we're doing that's never been done before but we're retaining all the art and the traditional mm, you know lacing you know and just the yummy stuff that comes from the the uh, Spanish Mm-hmm. Uh, history tooling yeah. and yeah the silver so tell us yeah. the super modern part i mean we're all curious what's the super modern part oh, what's this well we don't uh use trees in our saddles we uh sculpture um them out of foam and layer them with leather and stitch and sew them all together so there's nothing hard in there it's all very soft and comfy for the horse and the rider and yeah it's a totally New thing that my dad uh, figured out, <laughs> and he's, he continues to evolve it. So yeah. I'm, uh, you know, it's going to be challenging, but I think I can pull it off. Cool. So it makes it lighter. Is that the first goal? Super light. Mm-hmm. And, well, the, the first goal is to make it comfortable for the horse. So you have okay. this really happy <laughs> partner that wants to uh, hang out with you and mm-hmm. is able to perform really well. And it's, there's, you know, horses love comfort and lightness and softness. Mm-hmm. So we're just really practicing that. How gentle can I be with my horse? How soft can I make my gear? Mm-hmm. You know, so that's uh, that's what we're working on. And we see horsemanship is really changing and for the better. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, it is it, because we are more uh, focused on the horse, I guess, these days too. So is it? So you say treeless, yet it's foam. Mm-hmm. So is it a foam tree or is it something different? Yeah, so we are building the saddle up from the horse. We actually use a model horse form to build the saddle on top of. So it's shaped just like a horse with consideration for all the different movements. And from there, we build up and we take different parts of the traditional tree like the cantle, the pommel, the seat, and we just form it in one piece at a time and we, you know, finish it off with beautiful leather, mm-hmm. really nice uh, craftsmanship. Yeah, all that stitching and everything. So is it just you and your dad that are building the saddle too? Do you have other no. artisans? Yeah. Uh, we have, he, at his shop in Baker City, Oregon, he works with his wife, Jean, and they've been together for a long time now. Uh, they're also amazing silversmiths, so they do all the metal work there too. And uh, they do have one helper, JD. <laughs> so Aww. that's it. And then I'm down here in California. Your website has beautiful mm-hmm. photos, by the way. So tell me about the horn, because it looks like I'm thinking vaquero tradition, like roping horn, but what is that? It's a yeah. little different. Yeah. Right. Well, um, that's something that my dad makes himself, depending on the type of saddle that somebody wants, right? So my saddle, uh, my really lightweight saddle has what he calls a little boy horn or a palm grip horn. Uh So we, 
we make the, the horns uh, specific for the person, you know, the, the type of saddle that they want. Yeah, the customer. So uh, that is really the only metal in the saddle is the horn. Yeah, okay. And, and, and we can even make saddles without horns, too. We've made English saddles with the same technology that work great, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are just beautiful. And I love that you're, you're, you know, being easy on the horse's back. Is there any um, expiration date on this foam? Does it ever eventually break down? You know how, like, they say replace your helmet every few years, Ooh, depending on how right. it, right? Yeah. Well, I've been working on breaking down mine. <laughs> You've been trying. Many, many miles, and it's holding up fine. But it really is supposed to last forever. And I love uh, what my dad says about a real saddle, you know, like a really good saddle should last three generations. So that's, that's what we're doing. That's our plan. And uh, yeah, we make them super strong and really tight. So they, they hold up. I just love too that you're you're keeping that artist craftsmanship in your family, and that you've got this great relationship with your dad, and um, and your mom is a horsewoman, so you, you just mm-hmm. uh, you're keeping it all in the family, and uh, I think it's just a wonderful uh, legacy for lineage. But more than anything, you're you're happy to help the horses and and their backs too. Is there a horse's back that you just could not fit? I suppose not if you can fo- fo- form that foam, huh? Well, um, there's always other issues too. You know, like ulcers and stuff. You, you really have to <laughs> treat certain problems a different way. So, um, in my personal experience, that's where I've had a problem. I have a really great horse that just can't stand a girth at all of any saddle. So um, I guess that's my <laughs> my personal uh, experience is that I yes I have had I, I have had issues no matter how comfortable the saddle is. So gotcha. Yeah, um, I hadn't thought about that. What do you, so what do you, what's the latest thing you're riding him with? Do you have a stretchy girth or what do you do? I am just riding him bareback, and he's oh. <laughs> cool you know and it's kind of funny it's uh riding bareback is such a wonderful thing and uh you can really tell um a lot about a saddle after you've been riding bareback for a while you know you can see whoa this feels like a chair or this feels like i'm really riding the horse so uh i really love that close contact and our saddles are really close contact and they move with the horse. So that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's an interesting perspective. You're a saddle maker because you know what it feels like to be bareback on the back of a horse. I love that. And and that's the way we should think about it, right? It's not a couch up there. We're we're supposed to be comfortable. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And one last, one last perspective, too, I yeah. wanted to ask about is, do you get into the disciplines? Like, you know, I know a reining saddle is really different than a good trail saddle. And, um, you know, I, I, I suppose you can custom do anything. But what's your philosophy on the different disciplines? Well, um, what I feel about our saddle is, of course, it's great for trail, but I'm also impressed on the close contact. So I know that it's really uh, works well with 
like Western dressage, which is a kind of a big deal right now. A lot of people mm-hmm. are into that. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that. And uh, I do have a friend that's, that's a shows reigning horses, and he's interested in trying out my saddle to see what it's like. So that's, that's something we're exploring. Good. Okay. So yeah. that means we get to check back with you and see how it's oh, going. Yeah. All sure. I mean, I am, I am really just a baby saddle maker here. My dad is the master, and I'm doing my best to catch up with them. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, keep doing that. I th- We'd love to have him on sometime, too, to talk about the whole history. Yeah, of maybe that. I can talk him into it. There you go. Play this <laughs> for him and then t- tell him we went I will. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. Thanks for taking your time out. I know you're a busy lady and you've got a lot on your plate. And uh, say hi to Ocho and Brando for us, will you, your horses? Okay. (laughs) All right, Sam. Thanks very much for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. Um, We're really excited because Sean's Omega Fields company has done something amazing for one of our test horses. His name is Cadillac. And we felt so strongly about it that um, we definitely wanted to bring him on as a sponsor of Horsemanship Radio. And we wanted you to know that it came in that um, order first, is that we were so impressed with this product and with this horse's results that we wanted to have him a part of our um, our monthly shows. What is it about the Omega Fields product? Something's different. Omega Fields uh, was built around a really um, unique and proprietary technology. Flaxseed has been known for a long time to contain rich source of omega-3 fatty acids along with omega-6 and omega-9 fatty acids in in a near-perfect balance, but historically there was a problem using it. It's high in fat, and when it was uh, milled into a feed product or a food product, it it would go rancid very quickly. So our company had developed a proprietary technology for stabilizing this high-fat flaxseed to make it usable, uh, give it a long shelf life in a natural uh, environment. We don't use any chemicals or additives to mm-hmm. extend the shelf life or anything like that. It's a completely natural process. That's what makes our flax really different. Um, it makes it usable. It makes it nutritious over a long period of time. We guarantee an 18-month shelf life, so consumers can use it with confidence without it going rancid that you know would potentially harm the horse. So quality of manufacture, every single thing in that uh, product, Omega Horse Shine, is food grade. It's made at a food grade facility with great care of product quality. Uh, the stabilization technology makes that Omega-3 uh, nutrition nutritional value locked in and usable for a long period of time. So proof is in the pudding, so to speak, that it, it really works. You'll see dramatic results in a fairly short period of time. Bill Kasner grew up in El Paso, Texas, and he developed a love of horses at an early age. In 1963, at the age of 15, he started galloping horses at Sunland Park, and he fell under the spell of racing. He put himself through college, in fact, at Tarlington State University in Stephenville, Texas, by galloping thoroughbreds, including the champion Cho Crute, at various racetracks around the country. Upon graduation, Kasner embarked on a training career in the Midwest. 
And in 1979, Kasner left the thoroughbred industry with a former horse owner, Kenny Trout, and he founded Excel Communications. In addition to Excel, which went public in 1996, Kasner owns the Dallas-Fort Worth-based B&R equipment. He's a successful guy. But he re-entered the thoroughbred industry in the mid-1990s and through various racing partnerships. In early 2000, he and Mr. Trout came full circle and formed another partnership, establishing the renowned Windstar Farms in Versailles, Kentucky. Kasner sold his interest in the farm to Trout in 2011, but he continues to board his 20 mares at that facility. He's a good horse owner. Bill has received numerous awards, including the Thoroughbred Charities of America 2007 Leadership Award, the 2005 W.T. Young Humanitarian Award, as well as the 2003 T.O.B.A. Toba Award for service um, in the industry. And Kasner currently serves on the Thoroughbred Owners and Breeders Association Board of Trustees and is a past chairman, a vice chairman and co-founder of the Kentucky Equine Education Project, KEEP. Mr. Kasner is also a founding member of the Race for Education, a national scholarship foundation providing educational opportunities to children of racing's backside and farm workers. Mr. Kasner and his wife, Susan, and their daughter, Casey, are residents of Flower Mound, Texas. Welcome, Bill Kasner, to Horsemanship Radio. We are so honored to have you on. Um, and you uh, were actually a substitute for Stacey Hancock, and I, I just so appreciate you standing in for her. She's a, a grand jury today, poor thing. Uh, but, yeah, but... I, I know she put us in good hands through you, Bill, and I'd love to introduce you to our listeners a little bit. And if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into the racing industry so we have some perspective here. You're quite accomplished, as as well as your horses. Uh, well, first of all, uh, thanks for having me on the program. I'm uh, I, I'm a humble second uh, to, to Stacy. <laughs> Uh, Stacy is, uh, I'll tell you what, she's a bulldog. She's, uh, certainly, uh, she was the founder of, uh, of Woe, which is of course an acronym for water, hay and oats. And, uh, she stayed the course over the last uh, few years, really gaining, uh, support and membership and, uh, and working towards, uh, getting a bill introduced in Congress that hopefully you can, can do some good things for our industry. But I, I came into the industry, uh, you know, I was, I was a horse nut from the time I can uh, remember. And, uh, I was breaking some colts for a, a man that was taking them to the racetrack when I was about 14 years old and took me out to Sunland Park in New Mexico. And, and I, I just absolutely uh, fell in love uh, with horse racing. Uh, there were exercise riders that were getting a dollar ahead to gallop a real racehorse around the racetrack one or one and a half times, and I, I thought that was all the money in the world. <laughs> and and for for a kid my age, uh, it it certainly seemed that way, but. Uh, uh, from that point forward, it, it, it became, um, certainly something very important in my life. I, it allowed me to put myself through college, uh, worked at racetracks in the summertime and save enough money. I worked at racetracks all over the country, galloping horses and get a job in the grandstand in the afternoon. But, uh, uh, you know, I went on to, I was a racehorse trainer, um, uh, for the last six years, I left the racetrack when I was, uh, 31 years old. 
I had a family and two little girls that I had to consider and moving around, uh, five, mm-hmm. six, seven times a year wasn't, uh, in the, in their best interest. So I made the decision to, to leave, went in business, uh, continue to be involved with horses. Um, I love the team rope and, uh, but about 15 years later, after with a little success in business, uh, uh, Kenny Trout, my, my partner and I uh, got back in the business and founded Windstar Farm. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, you know, Windstar has grown to be arguably, uh, you know, uh, one of the biggest uh, breeding farms, training farms in the world. And uh, it's so it was uh, it was really, a, 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 you know, it's, uh, Windstar was a lot of fun. It, uh, you know, it we we were we've bred two derby winners uh funny yes, side uh, yeah. uh was the first one unfortunately we sold him <laughs> but, yeah. uh, he probably had to be sold to win the derby everything had to go as it as, as it did but then we also uh bred uh, super saver which won the uh dubai world cup in 2010 and uh, uh i bred a dubai world cup winner my uh, probably the best horse i've ever owned personally well-armed uh, you know, he fractured a hip as a three-year-old and, uh, went through and, a just a very challenging recovery, but went on to, to win the richest horse race in the world at six years old. Just really, a, an amazing horse that overcame uh, tremendous adversity. And we raced, uh, my wife, uh, bred, uh, Colonel John who won the Santa Anita Derby and the Travers and one in the ran in the Derby, et cetera. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I never really dreamed when I first stepped on that racetrack back in uh, 1963 that uh, that I would ever be standing in the winner circle of, yeah. of some of the major races in the world. But you know, such are the twists and turns of fate, and uh, it's uh, it's been an amazing journey. Yeah, an amazing life. Yeah, and and hard work got you there too. I know it doesn't happen by accident exactly. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I just I'm honored that we have you representing Water Hay and Oats Alliance today too, because you just said it. Uh, you just mentioned every reason why people should be loving on their these horses that uh, have provided so well and and. Um, deserve i think a, a good career and a, a good legacy uh, generationally now uh, into the future so how did you get acquainted with with well with water hay oats alliance well, yeah. uh, of course uh you know uh, i've known stacy for a long time and and uh when she founded the organization uh you know i i thought the the goals were 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 certainly uh extremely uh worthwhile i I think perhaps at the time i i thought that uh that it was a challenge that uh was Mm -hmm. was almost uh unsurmountable and and reason one of the you know the mission of of uh of water hay and oats is to is to work towards uniformity uniformity and central governance Mm -hmm. in horse racing and as it stands there are 38 uh, independent state racing jurisdictions that are administered by their politically appointed commissioners. Uh, in in all those thirty eight states, there is little un- there is little uniformity. 
of, of, of medication uh, rules and, and enforcement. And withdrawal times are different. Uh, permitted tolerances vary from state to state. And uh, there's a range of, of, of funding and budget uh, for post-race testing uh, from as little as $40 up to $125 per test in, in California. You know, of course, some states spend a lot more uh, than, than other states on tests. And uh, as you can understand, uh, it, a state that spends $40 on a test is not going mm-hmm. to get uh, the highest available uh, test for that race. So it it creates uh, creates a lot of opportunities, uh, perhaps for the for the cheaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we should explain a little bit about why Stacy set out to to found this and how she got so many um, credentialed, I mean, heavyweights to be involved. Well, I think it all goes back with the frustration that that so many of us have with the the, the current uh, uh, dysfunctional uh, system that we have. We have these 38 jurisdictions are every one of them is different and it, it just creates opportunities for, uh, for errors to happen, uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, trainers to, uh, uh, you know, send a horse, horses ship all over the country for horse races. Mm-hmm. So every time they leave one state and go into another, there's another set of rules. And, uh, you know, test barns are different and everything. And it, it leaves a loophole there. It leaves an opportunity for, for, uh, for the cheaters, uh, people who would endeavor to, to take an edge with, uh, you know, uh, either, uh, pushing the limits on permitted medication or using performance enhancing drugs. You know, it's a, it's, it's a very flawed, uh, system of, uh, of, of governance. You know, it, uh, you know, if, if somebody, the way it, it is now, uh, because of budget restrictions, and everything, if the tests come back bad on a trainer, who's perhaps a habitual violator and the, the commission, uh, you know, uh, will take him to task on it, he'll, you know, he'll, he'll lawyer up yeah. and, uh, and, and the financial financially strapped commissions, uh, don't want to any extended legal expenses. So they, they tend to give out uh, relatively light uh, penalties and the frustration with just the whole, whole system uh, is, is, you know, we, we really feel that we, it, uh, it's just very dysfunctional and, uh, and just really compromises uh, the integrity of our, our industry. And, industry. and I, I want to qualify that because the vast majority of our industry is, is, you know, are people that abide, uh, by the rules, but there mm-hmm. are those who will always try and take advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're, we've been trying to, uh, generate support. Uh, in fact, we've, we've really, uh, Come a long way. Stacy, of course, has networked with uh, you know the the Jockey Club, uh, the American Horse Council, uh, racetracks across the country, and 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 creating uh, this uh, this support for uh, a house bill 
uh, that has has been introduced in 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 Congress. Uh, okay, what's that? A, what, what? Yeah, it's yeah. Well, it's referred to as House Bill thirty eighty four. Okay. And uh, it's uh, it was introduced by uh, Senator uh, Paul Tonko of New York, and uh, uh, he's a Democrat, and, and uh, it was co-sponsored by uh, uh, Andy Barr, a, a Republican from Kentucky. And since then, they have uh, enlisted uh, 68 uh, co-sponsors in in Congress uh, for it. So it's really uh, building momentum, but. Basically, what uh, House Bill uh, uh, 3084 uh, uh, creates is the authority to have central uh, governance uh, with horse horse racing nationally to, to put those take those 38 uh, jurisdictions and uh, and and move the the, the medication. Uh, rules, the, the medication enforcement, uh, the, the standards uh, for uh, testing, uh, mm-hmm. it moves that authority to uh, a central organization mm-hmm. uh, that can create uh, the uniformity and, and consistency uh, across the, the country and, and then also have, uh, have the quality of, of testing to, to really ensure our integrity. Okay. And uh, the 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 organization that the bill designates as the as the administrator is is uh, USADA, which is the United States Anti Doping Authority, and they are they're an independent authority. They're a non governmental authority, but that's the organization that busted Lance Armstrong. They gotcha. saved the course ah, okay. under there was an immense amount of, of pressure against what they were doing, but uh, uh, USADA, under the leadership of Travis Tigart, stayed the course and refused to quit and, and give in uh, to all of the, the financial pressures in the cycling industry and finally, mm-hmm. and you know, got to the truth, uh, busted uh, uh, Lance Armstrong, U.S. Postal Team. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, it was shown that this was rampant in cycling, and uh, and cycling has really benefited immensely from it because now uh, the in, the integrity, the belief uh, in mm-hmm. in the sport has been dramatically right. uh, elevated. That's it. I, I you know it is a public relations thing. Um, obviously, the the Lance Armstrong. That's that's an amazing um, bit of detail that you just gave us there too. Because you feel like wow, if you could do Lance Armstrong with the international publicity that not that the horse industry isn't a huge, not only monetary um, force, but, but it's, it's also a hugely traditional system that's hard to break through. But it feels like if you can, if you can clean up drugs in bicycling, I think you could clean up drugs in, um, in the thoroughbred industry. And you have this amazing record of having horses that, uh, not only did you race them a long time, but you, I mean, you raced them at the highest level on earth for a long time. How did you do that? What do you, what do you say is, is your philosophy that gets those horses to perform at a high level, but also last, obviously you're not, um, you know, propping them up with performance enhancing drugs because you're against that. 
Well, uh, I, I don't even run my horses on, uh, the, the permitted medications, you know, of course, Lasix is a, is a drug that is almost being universally used in with every horse and every race. Uh, and, uh, it's a diuretic, uh, that, you know, the science, uh, will show you creates dehydration and will, uh, you know, leach calcium from bone, making bone weaker yet. Uh, it is, you know, it is considered by many to be a performance enhancing drugs. It was designed to, uh, prevent bleeding, uh, from the nostrils, uh, from, from which ultimately comes from the lungs in racehorses by reducing, uh, uh, the pulmonary pressures. But yeah. what it, what it does is it, it, uh, horses, uh, urinate off about 25 pounds. Uh, it's, it's administered four hours before post time. And, uh, they, you know, they basically have a 25 pound, uh, weight advantage mm-hmm. and people perceive that if you don't use it, uh, you know, it, it, they may lose a competitive edge, but the fact is it's, it's not in the best interest of our horses. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it dehydrates and you can only imagine what happens, you know, when you, it, it's so uh, counterintuitive to, to any, um, athletic endeavor, you, exactly. you, you never, mm-hmm. you never, uh, dehydrate before. And, and, you know, a horse running on a, on, on a very, very hot day is subject to heat stroke. And of course, mm-hmm. I think it contributes to our soundness problems. Horses can't run near as often as they used to. They used to run, run every week to two weeks and now they run uh you know it's extended out at least a month and sometimes mm-hmm. five six weeks because of the recovery time yeah. uh is a drug that's uh that's given you know it, it can't be used on race day but it's used uh you know the day before 24 to 36 hours out again it varies from state to state and mm-hmm. and uh but it it causes ulceration in horses, causes leukemia in people, not even used in human medicine anymore. And, uh, and in truth, it's, uh, with the 24 hour, uh, time limit, it, it really, uh, probably has lost, uh, most of its, uh, 95% of its effectiveness by, by race time. Uh, much like if you took an, uh, two aspirin yesterday, they wouldn't be working on you this time today. That's right. And, That's right. Uh, so, you know, so you uh, you keep your horses off uh, it, most medications that they say it's it's okay to do, and then you also try not to over medicate your horses in general. So that's what you're. That's well, your exactly. secret. Exactly. I, I you know I think a little knowledge is a, na- a dangerous thing. A lot of times, you know, if people would only uh, read the side effects that some of these drugs have, I just don't feel uh, personally. Uh, I don't feel like they're in the best interest of my horses. And that's, so that's a, that's my decision to run, uh, on, on water, hay and, and, and oats. And oats. And, that's uh, it. Yeah. and, 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 you know, I, I won the, you know, uh, the richest horse race in the world without any medication with well-armed and he arguably ran best race he'd ever run in his life. Uh, prior to that, I, I was like everybody else. I was running on Lasix. You know, this is, uh, he, he won the Dubai world cup in 2009, but prior to that, I was, I had never really thought about it, but I guess the, the epiphany for me was the night that he did win it. They, what, they don't allow any medication in, in Dubai and in, in that race. And, uh, 
he he ran the most phenomenal race he'd ever run in his life, won by 14 lengths in a grade one race against best horses in the world. And it, it just struck me. I said, you know, I probably, we probably, we may very well may have been stopping this horse in the past. Exactly. But I, that's, exactly. that's when I started doing my research and everything. And, and I've always had, a, you know, my program is, uh, is asset preservation. I have a small group of horses that I take to the racetrack and every one of them's got to count. So, we do. We, we start on them, uh, you know, early on. Uh, I, I start on my, my, my yearlings uh, in, in, in February, their yearling year when they're short yearlings. And uh, we start uh, putting them on vibration plates, which helps to build bone. We swim them, which makes them stronger, more athletic, better able to take the uh, breaking process and get them to the races quicker. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just. Uh, I try and make my decisions on what's in the best interest of my horses long term, rather than trying to think, uh, you know, short term. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but um, you know, of course, the other the other aspect of of use of of, of House Bill thirty eighty four would to create that entity that would have uh, USADA that would have the expertise and the resources yeah. and, and the, the history to, to deal with that very small group of, of people in our game that truly, uh, push the limit with, uh, performance enhancing drugs. Uh, you know, the latest one is, a uh, people may have heard of it called frog juice. It, it's a narcotic that's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, 10,000 times more powerful than, uh, and morphine just a very small amount but uh and a lot of these medications in horses uh, there's one called uh entropine uh which is also known as uh, elephant juice and uh it was used for a long time they finally developed tests but it was a tranquilizer in in uh in with for elephants it had a stimulatory effect on horses it was had the opposite reaction maybe a function of the way their brains are but, uh, so, you know, usage, these, these drugs, these, uh, performance enhancing drugs will be used until a, a test is developed. And, uh, you know, the, we had the Balcos scandal, of course, a few years ago, and that exposed how extensive, uh, cheating was in, in human athletics and, uh, and, and also, and they were selling, uh, uh medications in, in our industry. Uh, these designer drugs. And so when you create this, this central authority, you have someone that is, that is equipped on the same level to, to deal with the, the, the cheaters. And, uh, you, you can have out of competition testing. Doesn't matter where you go. You have to be available for a test. There's any, there, there's all sorts of, 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 of benefits to it. And, uh, mm-hmm. but it is something that is, is, re, has had some resistance in our industry. Yeah, anything, you know, against tradition or seems like maybe, uh, you know, a better idea today, you know, is is tough. But if we could pay attention to the rest of the world, it seems the U.S. is the only one kind of still allowing this Lasix to um, to hang on, which may be maybe masking some of those other performance enhancing. So it essentially is a performance enhancing drug. But um, but I wanted to bring you on and and bring up your 
opinion about this because you've achieved at such a high level, which takes away all the excuses, I think. And you've even outlined it better for us than I could have uh, to say that you don't need it. And what are we doing in our gene pool to uh, to change it uh, so that our one thing that people forget about racing is you don't win by the clock. It's the first horse's nose that goes across the wire that that's, wins. That's right. And it's just such a leveler that way. And if they think that they're trying to get, you know, a couple of extra feet out of the horse and we compromise their whole gene pool, it doesn't really make sense. We're, we're losing our industry. And don't even get me started on whips. But, <laughs> but, you know, I just think they may find someday if they study this that whips actually make the horses run slower um, just by attention getting, you know. So um, I think I think there is a huge public relations issue brewing for the racing industry, and they could do themselves, I think, a huge favor to listen to you, Bill, and and to listen to Stacy and to read about this bill and to read up on Woe um, Water Hay Oats Alliance. And I think our listeners certainly agree with you. I can speak for them because I just know that the heart of there's a whole growing group of people who just love their horses and really. Uh, have not thrown performance out of the window, but have focused instead on their own horses and and loving them and and they're uh, keeping them for life. You know, they're they're a part of the family and they're going to stay there. And I just so appreciate you coming and lending your weight to this argument too. Well, it uh, you, you know you you certainly hit some good points. You know, uh, you, you know, uh, horses and and the rest of the world don't run with uh, medications we have a shrinking industry in, in this country uh, you know we've had about a four percent decline uh in in handle uh over the last yearly for you know about the last 10 years it, it, it horse racing continues to decline and i think it's because of you know times have changed uh, people are certainly much more uh, aware uh you know anything that is considered to be uh abusive to an animal is not mm-hmm. tolerated you know mm-hmm. it's uh it, it there it's it's a different world we we live in people are wanting uh, they they want to ensure integrity uh mm-hmm. and they 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 want a level playing field and they want our horses to be treated properly mm-hmm. and uh so you know that's change is difficult and, yeah and you have a lot of people that don't want change because they they Hey, they don't, they think it's going to, they're going to lose their edge. You know, you mm-hmm. have a, a group of people out there. One of the biggest pushbacks is, is kind of, kind of funny. It's, uh, you know, people are, you know, say, well, I don't, I don't want the federal government in our business. They don't need to be in our business. You know, we, we don't want any, well, the fact of the matter is there was a bill passed in 1978 called the interstate horse racing act that, uh, gave us a monopoly on interstate wagering on horse races through simulcast and so the government gave us one of the biggest gifts we've ever had right. people do not oh they, they they don't want to recognize that that they, part's they, okay they, yeah. and most mo- most of them don't even understand it or realize that uh, you know that the federal government does have their hands in our business and and what this bill would do it would only uh, create the authority uh, USADA, which is a non-governmental organization, 
to, to properly administrate uh, the medication challenge that we have in this industry. Perfect. Yeah, that's uh, that's not much to add. And and you know, the I think the American people, uh, not just horse lovers, love Sea Biscuit the story, and they you know Secretariat. I, I think there is. Um, a, a huge population base that appreciate racing, and it shouldn't be shrinking. There's some other, there's some other statement I think that's being made about this. Forget that there's other entertainment things that they can go to. I think it's hard to bring people who don't understand the industry to the racetrack anymore because of uh, because of a lot of stuff they're seeing that they're not happy about or they're reading in the paper and they never get there. So, do you think there's hope for this, Bill? Is this going to pass? And oh. uh, yeah, are we going to well, change the industry a little bit? I hope. I, I hope so. I hope it happens in my lifetime. I'm, I'm 68 go. years old now, and uh, you know, I, I'm certainly the the eternal uh, optimist. <laughs> and uh, you know, the support for this bill has uh, significantly grown. Uh, the the Jockey Club, which is one of the biggest organizations in our, has really committed uh, to this bill, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's growing. There's 68, uh, sponsors in Congress now, co-sponsors, uh, and, and that's growing. Uh, you know, it, these things don't happen overnight. Yeah. Uh, it takes, it takes a concerted effort. Uh, it, it takes commitment and, and believe me, that's what Stacey Hancock has. <laughs> Good. Uh, she, she is, she, she has been willing to, to stay the course. Uh, in leading this this organization, uh, her and Arthur, and uh, and you know, uh, but it, she's done an incredible job of staying the course and making sure that this uh, gains continues to gain momentum. And uh, and I think I, I really it's such a logical uh, solution to uh, one of our one of our toughest problems uh, that I think eventually. Uh, it will, I think the, I think you, I think we get enough sponsors out there and people look at it and say, this is no brainer. Uh, it's, 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 they're bipartisan, uh, you know, sponsors. Uh, it, it, so at the end of the day, uh, I'm yes, to answer your question, response, but, uh, uh, yes, I am very optimistic that, uh, that it will pass at some time in the future. Terrific. Well, we'll put a link to the information in our show notes so that people can go on there and study it for themselves. Uh, I know dad, Monty Roberts is now behind it. Um, he's, he's added his list to uh, his name to the list of, um, impressive uh, people in the industry and uh, people should look and see who's in support of it and just feel really good about supporting this thing and, and get it done. Well, you're, you're, dad has always been, uh, you know, he was an early advocate of, of treating horses properly. Uh, you know, he's been, uh, uh, he's a, he's an icon in, in, uh, in the performance industry and in the racing industry, you know, uh, he introduced those pads that, uh, you put on those horses when yeah. a lot of them are real touchy. And, you know, I mean, that was, and, and, and that's, that's been used for years at many racetracks now. And it was yeah. something that he and he thought of and, and, and invented though. So, yeah. On we go. Uh, That's it. That's uh, it. We uh, we just love our horses, and we're going to keep heading in that direction, Bill. I, I so appreciate you being on with us on Horsemanship Radio today, and we'd love to have you back and, as progress happens. Whisper the language of the herd. 
Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the earth. Ask Monty Part 2. The original question was... I was just wondering if you have to use an enclosed area for join-up as I live on a Scottish island and it is hard to get access to one. Would a small field do? Round pens have been constructed of many different materials, logs, planks, stones, or even tires. In recent years, I've seen many round pens made of solar tape. People actually tell me that once a horse is trained to the electrical tape, this works just fine. History shows that round pins, which were originally used as part of a traditional training, have varied inside over the centuries. The methods used were often brutal, and many of these structures had a solid post in the center to restrain untrained horses. I have seen sizes varying between 30 feet, 10 meters, and 150 feet, 50 meters in diameter. On my farm flag is up, I built my round pins with a solid plank walls approximately 8 feet high. They are 50 feet, 16 meters in diameter. I consider this to be the optimum size for normal saddle horses of 14 to 17 hands. The factor I observe most closely in determining pen size is the capability of the horses I am working to canter, maintaining the same lead, front, and rear. Very big warm bloods may require a slightly larger diameter in order to move in a coordinated manner. For the smaller breeds, the diameter can actually come down to about 46 feet with no problem. One of the most critical aspects of a round pin is the footing, which is both important for the safety and performance of the horse. Any accepted horse show style of soil or artificial surface is acceptable so long as it offers good traction as well as good cushioning. While my walls slope slightly outward at the top, I have learned that this is not a necessity to clear the legs of the rider. A wall straight up and down will do just fine. On my travels around the world in recent years, I have worked with portable round pins. They are made of welded mesh wire so that people can see what I am doing and that the fence is straight up and down. I have dealt with more than 7,000 horses for public audiences, and whether it's not just luck... All these horses have remained physically sound through the process. It is a good idea to place the round pin in an area as free of distractions as possible. Horses will respond to educational sessions far better when not disturbed by the sight of other horses, people, animals, or other activities. A hedge around the round pin can often assist in this effort. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, Go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says, Get Free Horse Tips. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I know that I'm transforming the lives of horses globally. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. There's a new lesson on there each week, all the way from join up to advanced. Watch world's champions give their lessons. Join at MontyRoberts.com. Go to my Equus Online University. You can transform your horse, too. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in November. On the 3rd, the Living Legend, Legend Tour in East Yorkshire will be attended. And then November 5th, the Living Legend Tour in Lincolnshire. And both of those are in the United Kingdom. Uh, winding down for the year. Yeah, getting there. Getting there. You can find all of this and more at Monty Roberts' website. That would be MontyRoberts.com. Or you can call a friendly face. There at Flag is Up Farms by calling 805-688-6288. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com where you can find links, photos, and more information about today's fascinating guests. And as always, we love your feedback. Follow us on Facebook by searching Monty Roberts and put, a, put down what you want us to talk about on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Or if you're one of those short and sweet folks, you can follow Monty Roberts on Twitter. <laughs> That's right. His handle is Monty underscore Roberts. And don't forget, you can get the app. Listen to the shows wherever you go on your cell phone. It's available for iPhone or Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's free and easy to use. It is. And many thanks to our sponsors, IFA.com. Omega Fields and MontyRobertsUniversity.com. And be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. But until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>